week I asked you as we started to imagine God, our loving Heavenly Father, because not everybody grows up with a good loving dad. Bart Millard would be one of those people. And so it's important to us that we imagine God as our loving Heavenly Father, not based on our preconceived notions, ideas, or ideas of who we think God is, but based our imagination based on God's Word, on what God's Word says God is, and that He is a loving Heavenly Father who loves us so much He gave us Himself to die for us once rather than to live forever without us, and that His love for us is stronger than death. So that's what I asked you to imagine last week. This week, as a progression from that, I want you to now imagine the power of forgiveness in your life. Imagine the power of forgiveness in your life because the world is full of hurting people. And that is people who hurt people and people who are hurt by people. And you might be one of them. People that get held hostage to either the guilt of their offense or to the grudge that they hold against the person who has hurt them, who has offended them. And by being held hostage to our grudges keeps us from living the kind of peaceful, positive, productive life that God wants all of us to live in. And that's what forgiveness actually frees us from. Forgiveness is a twofold thing. It not only forgives people from their guilt, it also frees people from their grudges that they can hold against people in life. And, and to be honest, I, I think grudges are understandable. I don't think they're acceptable. I think they hold us back from the way God wants us to live. They're, I think they're an additional pain on top of the pain we're already feeling. But I do think they're understandable. What I mean by that is this. Bart Millard definitely had a lot to forgive his dad for. Over the course of time, because of the way his dad was, his dad truly was a, a very mean-spirited, reprehensible, almost unforgivable monster. So caught up in the hurricane of his own pain that he ended up hurting Bart quite a lot when Bart was little and, and growing up in life. Now, remember that, that, that like a cardboard Jedi helmet that Bart made in that video clip there and that he cut it out and he, he taped on that visor and he, he drew the thing? I actually thought it was a pretty good concept of, of Luke Skywalker's helmet from the movie Star Wars way, way back when, right? And he wore it home riding his bike and everything. Well, he brought it into the house. Well, it was that same helmet that little Bart made that his dad, in a hurricane of his own temper tantrum in self-pity and pain, he took the helmet and he threw it into a burn barrel out behind the house a few, about within that scene, a little bit later from that scene, and along with some of his own personal trophies from high school, that he was burning and destroying and getting rid of because he was so wrapped up in his own personal pain and self-pity that he got in his little son's face and he yelled at him and he told him to quit dreaming big dreams because life only lets you down and life only hurts you. And he took his little son... This is something I honestly would have decked that guy and knocked him on his backside for. You don't treat your children that way. I can't believe when I was watching this movie, because I when, I when I watch true stories of something like this, my emotions tend to go along with the movie and stuff. I can't get through this movie without, without crying. If you haven't seen it yet, you, you really need to rent it off, off of Pure Flix or, or something like that, because it's, it's really that well done, that moving of a movie. And I can't believe Bart, Bart's dad took that cardboard helmet that little Bart made and, and threw it in the burning barrel right in front of Bart in one of his tirades and temper tantrums, in, in one of his hurricanes of self-pity and pain that he was going through. And then over the years, he kept being like that. He, he was an emotionally abusive father. He was a physically abusive father. And so by the time Bart had grown up into his teenage years, Bart's had, had, had the hurts, the pains had piled up. He had grown a lot of rock-hard heartedness towards his dad, a lot of rock-hard unforgiveness towards his father. And who could blame him? I don't. I, I, I don't blame him for the, for the way he was for a while in his life. His, his dad deserved everything that he got because of the way his dad acted and the way his dad treated him. You, you see, forgiveness is sometimes very hard 
to do forgiveness. You're not going to hear me say that forgiveness is easy because sometimes it's just not easy. Sometimes it's very hard. It depends upon the hurt, the pain, the offenses. In other words, the greater the hurt, the greater the pain, the greater the offense, logically, the harder it is to forgive that person for that. If it's a minor thing, I got my feelings hurt, somebody misspoke, said something the wrong way, that's one thing. It hurts, but you can forgive that. You can get over that. You can, there can be an understanding that they made a, a simple mistake. But if they physically abuse you, if they emotionally abuse you, if, if they're horrible to you, the, the greater the suffering, the greater the hurt, the greater the pain, the harder it is to forgive somebody. And may, maybe that's you. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and maybe you've been hurt by somebody in life. Maybe you've been horribly hurt by somebody. You were good to them. You never hurt them. You didn't do anything wrong. You always treated them with love and respect and gentleness and everything else. And then, bam, one day they lost it. One day they started hurting you. And the hurts piled up and the pain piled up. And, and you're there left as a victim to decide if, if you're going to seek revenge and seek retribution, if, if you're going to hold them in their guilt, I'm not going to let them go because they're guilty, they haven't apologized to me, and I'm going to hold them in that guilt. The problem with holding somebody in guilt is that you're also holding on to that grudge. Or is that grudge holding on to you? Is that grudge holding you back from the peaceful, positive, productive life that your loving, heavenly Father, God, wants you to live in. You see, sometimes you got to let go of the grudges to live the kind of life that God wants you to live. You can't hang on to life's luggage throughout all of life. You can't carry all the bags all at the same time. Sometimes you just got to let some things go. You can't control the past. You can't change the past of what happened in the past, but you can control the present and you can control the future. You can control the future by finding the strength to let go of the past. And the strength to let go of the past, to free yourself from the grudge, honestly, is forgiveness. And it's not always easy. Sometimes it's very hard, but it's, it's the way we control life. You see, many times as a victim, when somebody hurts you and harms you, physically, emotionally, financially, in business, in, in, in friendships, in family, whatever, many times when you get hurt at school or at work or whatever, many times you feel like you're out of control because you're not in control. You didn't control what was happening. Somebody else controlled you and controlled what happened to you, right? And so as a victim, many times we feel like, what we're missing is we feel vulnerable because we're missing that control. Well, in an odd sort of way, the way odd, odd to the way we think, forgiveness gives the victim back control. Forgiveness gives the victim back the power that, to replace the powerlessness that they felt when they were uh, a victim to somebody else's hurt and pain and, and offense. It gives us back control. I think that's one of the reasons why forgiveness is a cornerstone of Christianity. Jesus emphasized forgiveness in the Gospels and in his ministry, and I think it's because Jesus, being God, understands the power and the control that forgiveness has. Forgiveness is the power to not change the past, but to control the future to control the present and the future. I think that's why Jesus wants us to keep it in perspective and in the forefront of our minds and that it be part of our prayer life with him. What I mean by that is this. In Matthew chapter 6, in verse 9, when Jesus was teaching the apostles how to pray, and he was teaching us how to pray, he said, and when you pray pray like this, or have this going through your mind. Our Father, remember we started there last week, our Father who art in heaven, so you could say, my Father who art in heaven, holy be your name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, which really means in my life. Let your kingdom come, will be done on earth, in my life, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin. Forgive me as I forgive others who sin against me. I don't think we can miss, and I don't think it was a coincidence, the correlation that Jesus put right there between our being forgiven by God and our extending forgiveness to other people in our lives like God forgave us. You see, forgiveness is a cornerstone of Christianity. You can't be in a relationship with God without being forgiven. Once you are forgiven by God, then you're in the relationship with God. So you can't be in a relationship with God without being forgiven by God, and you're forgiven by God to be in a relationship with God, so you can then extend the forgiveness of God through you to other people around you. You say, Pastor, man, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what it is. It's hard, man. It's not always easy. I didn't say it was always easy. You will never hear me say forgiveness is easy, because it's not. Forgiveness is easy for God, but it's hard for the rest of us. But it is holy. Forgiveness is a part of our holy relationship, our holiness that God gives us in our nature. We have the power and the capacity to forgive. Therefore, God has the expectation of us that we will forgive even as we have been forgiven. And it, God knows it's not easy. God knows it's hard for us but it's a part of our holiness. It's a part of what makes us uniquely, distinctly different as Christians. Because we're the ones that when offended, we forgive. Because we understand that humanity has offended God, yet God in his love and his grace has chosen to forgive us our sins. So forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. A man was standing on a street corner in downtown Cleveland waiting for a taxi. He is a business guy dressed in a business suit carrying a little satchel briefcase with Armani shoes. And he's standing there and he's waiting for taxis to come by to flag one down. And while he's standing there, he's thinking about himself and life and everything. And he's probably thinking about the message that he heard Pastor Rory preach at New Promise Church on Sunday morning. And so he's going, Lord, would you please make me a more kind, patient, forgiving person? I want to be a more kind, patient, forgiving person, Lord. Please help me be a more kind, patient, forgiving person. As soon as he prays that, a bus goes by, splashes water out of the giant pothole that's in the road, gets him soaking wet from his head to his feet. He's just soaking wet now. Briefcase and the Marnie shoes and everything. And he grimaces. Ugh. And then just as he sees a taxi pull up and he starts to walk over to the taxi, another man cuts him off, opens the door, gets in the taxi, closes the door, and the taxi drives away. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But how many times, Lord? How many times am I supposed to forgive somebody? Well, according to Jesus in Matthew 28, the number of times is limitless and without hesitation. Pastor, that's hard. I never said, and God never said, forgiveness was hard. It's just holy. In Matthew 28, somewhere around verse 21, Jesus is in a conversation with the apostles about problems and social differences and difficulties and sins and offenses that were happening and everything. And, and so Peter asks Jesus this question. Peter says, Lord, how many times are we supposed to forgive someone? Seven? Now the reason he said seven is because he was probably thinking of a rabbi in a synagogue he heard sometime before Jesus came on the scene who was probably talking about Leviticus 26. And the rabbi probably had interpreted Leviticus 26 as you are to forgive somebody up to three or four times for the, the same offense. You know, how magnanimous. You know, you are to forgive someone, the same person, up to three, maybe four times for the same offense, but, but then you're done. It makes no sense, right? And so Peter thinks, okay, I'm going to do better than the rabbi. I'm going to even do better than Leviticus 26. He says, how many times should we forgive somebody? 
up to seven? Wow, that's magnanimous. That's better than three, four. We're doing seven. It's an arbitrary number Peter threw out. Seven times, Lord? And he probably thinks he's making brownie points with Jesus, right? But then all of a sudden, Jesus probably smiled, chuckled a little bit, and he said, oh no, Peter. Seventy times seven. Now that's not to say 490 times and then you're done. That is to say limitless. Without limitation and without hesitation, you are to forgive people who sin against you and offend you and they hurt you and they cause you pain. And that's not easy. That's hard. But it's a part of holiness. And, and then Jesus followed that up in the same place with telling the story about the parable of the hypocrisy of unforgiveness. He says that there was a, a master who had a servant and his servant owed him a great debt that he couldn't pay back. And the servant came to the master and begged the master, said, just give me a little bit more time. Let me pay this thing off and, and I'll pay it off, but I just need more time. And the master in his wisdom said, you know what, you can never pay this thing off. So I'm just going to forgive the debt. I'm going to cancel out the debt. And so the master magnanimously and graciously forgave the guy's debt, the servant's debt, right? But then that servant went and found one of his servants, because apparently servants had servants, and that servant owned this servant a debt that that servant couldn't repay. And instead of this servant forgiving that servant, this servant said, I do not forgive you. You owe me what you owe me. Pay me what you owe me. And so then the master heard about it, went back to the servant he forgave, and said, you wicked servant. You get in the correlation? There's many times as Christians that we are forgiven by God in his grace and his love and in his mercy. And then we mindlessly turn around and forget to give, or we forget to forgive other people who sin against us, who owe us a debt that they can't. You can't put toothpaste back in the tube. You can't undo what you did. You can't undo what you said. The best you can do is to apologize. And the best the other person can do is to forgive. You can't undo the past. But with forgiveness, you can control the future. You know, I, I don't know if this part, what I'm about to say, is all that politically correct. I try and be gentle, respectful, loving, dignified with people, but I am an imperfect person. I invariably, I will screw up from time to time. And I'm not that politically correct, because I find you trip over it quite a bit. Trying to do the right thing, you trip over it, and you don't do the right thing, because you you're so conscious of the way you say things and things like that. Uh, what I'm saying is this. It just seems, out of the five decades I've been alive, it just seems that we are a more overly sensitive society, more easily offended now by everything than we ever have been before. You know, we are always microaggressed. You ever heard that phrase, microaggression? It means if I say something you don't like, you get your feelings hurt. You know, we are so thin-skinned, we're like snowflakes. We melt so easily in the slightest bit of heat, right? That we hardly can communicate with one another anymore. Because we want to, this is what the cancel culture is, right? We want to cancel this and cancel, they want to cancel everything that they don't like. They want to cancel everything that offends them. Forget freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of whatever. We are just so easily offended these days by everything that we're offended by, well, frankly, everything. We, we are constantly going around feeling as though we should apologize to one another. We've grown such a thing. Honesty, it just seems like we're not as tough as we used to be. We're, we've, we've grown such a thin skin, so easily offended by petty differences and different preferences and different things that we've just lost perspective. We've, we've just lost perspective of things. Even in the church, and, and maybe sometimes especially in the church, because that's, that's my world, you know, I, I, I see it a lot. I mean, there, there's times that new people I've seen can come into church and they get offended by the veterans that are, have been there for a long time. Maybe the status quo, the culture, the way they do things, whatever. And, and I've seen all other times where, where um, veteran attenders are offended by newer people who, who start to attend the church. Now, years ago, it wasn't here, but years ago at our former church, 
we had worship going in the morning like we had here and everything. And, and we had been there a few years and the church was starting to fill up and both services were, were pretty decently full now and everything. And, and I remember I was sitting over there with, with uh, Pastor Dan. He was our youth pastor and stuff. Karen was up on the worship team like she was this morning. And, and I was over there with Pastor Dan like I was in the first service with Pastor Nick this morning. And we just happened to be, you know, turning around. I don't do it a lot. Maybe I should do it more. But sometimes I find people distracting to my worship and I'm just there to worship God and everything, right? So, but that morning I turned around and I was just kind of surveying the congregation and everything and, and Dan was too and, you know, we were just looking at people had their hands raised and they're worshiping God and things were going on. It was like the second song into the service, second, third song, something like that. And then all of a sudden my eyes caught something that I wish I hadn't seen. A veteran had come in late to church that morning and you know how you all sit in the same spots every Sunday? That's not unique to here. You know, I can always tell who's here and who's not by the time I get up here because I just look around and I always know who's sitting over there. They're always sitting over there. And, and I know who's always sitting over here. In fact, your family moved. You threw me off this week um, because you guys used to be back there. And, and, and I even know in the first service, we got a couple people who, you know, I don't worry about if they're ever going to be here or not. I just know they won't be on time because they always show up about the second song into the worship. And I know they got little kids, so it, takes, it's, it gets hard to get all the kids, the family, or they got a big family and everything. But, but, you know, so I've just, I, just, I just know where everybody is, right? It's almost like we had assigned seating. You might think you have assigned seating in this place. I, I don't know. I looked around on the chairs. There are no names on any of the seats, right? So a number of years ago, we're back at this other, my former church and stuff, and I see this veteran coming down uh, two sections over the, the aisleway there, and, and they stop where they usually sit, except this Sunday morning, there was a, a family there that I didn't recognize, so they're a new family and everything, and the husband, of course, is sitting on the end, and, and there's a family, there are like five or six people and stuff, and then there's other other regular people sitting on the other side of them, so to speak. And so all of a sudden, I know that this person, one person who always sits right in that seat, instead of just going to find another place to sit, I notice they start talking to the person during worship. And you can tell by the body language and everything that they're starting to get upset about this because they're like this. You know, and they're like, you know, could you just move down? This means, can you just move down a little bit, right? There's no place to move down. Now, it's not that there weren't other seats where this one person could have went and sat, and I wish they would have, but they didn't right away. And so they had this conversation during worship that was not only distracting to the people there, it was distracting to the people around them. And these are new people who probably were going, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know this was your seat. Honey, there's a sign seating here. We didn't know that, you know. So this is going on. So I nudged Dan. I elbowed Dan. And Dan was seeing what I was seeing. And so I looked at Dan and I said, when service is over this morning, who do you want, the new people or the veteran? You know, seriously, what is it with, with aisle seats anyway? Everybody wants to sit on the aisle. Nobody wants to move into the middle. I applaud you people. You're in the middle of the section. Amazing. But, but, but what is it with people sitting on the aisle seats? I thought I was the only one that liked to sit on the aisle. Please don't sit on the aisle seats because that's where I like to sit, right? So at the end of the service, we go over and we divvied up. One of us took the new, took the new family and I went over to the veteran. <laughs> And I said, I don't ever, and I don't often do this. I don't often put my finger in somebody's face. I said, I don't ever want to see that again. You should know better. They said, what do you mean? I said, we don't have assigned seatings here. Oh, I know, Pastor, I'm sorry, and I'm sorry it was distracting, and I'm sorry that you saw it and everything, but that's where I always sit. I said, then go find another seat. Have a backup in case somebody is sitting, or better yet, show up earlier. Don't just show up on time. Show up 15 minutes before so you can plop your stuff down in that seat and save your seat, you know? Bless God. This person's going to go to heaven and think they're safe seating in heaven. I guarantee you that. They're going to misread Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, we have reserved seating with God in heaven. And they're going to go up there going, oh, I bet you that's mine over there, you know? People get so offended and kerfluffled over the the pettiest of things, it drives me crazy. If I didn't have hair plugs in my hair, I'd be bald by now. I'm just kidding. I don't have hair plugs, not at all. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, geez, people, you've lost perspective. We're here to worship God, learn from his word, fellowship and love with one another, and it don't matter where you plant your backside. Amen? Amen. All righty. 
Ephesians chapter 4. That really bugs me. Petty things drive me crazy. Seriously. If it's sinful, immoral, illegal, unethical, or unscriptural, I'm there. I get it. Totally there. But if it's pettiness just drives me nuts. It really, really does. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4. It says, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all anger. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of fighting and lying about one another. That would be half-truths. Be kind and compassionate towards one another, tender-hearted and forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. Make allowances for each other's faults, which is their imperfections. Forgive one another who offends you as the Lord has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13. You, Pastor, you might say, you don't know, Pastor, you don't know how hard it is. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know this. You're right. I don't know. And again, I never said it was easy. I'm, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic or unempathetic. All I know is what God's word says. And I know that forgiveness is not easy. I know forgiveness is hard, but it's a part of our holiness and it, what sets us apart as Christians living in a non-Christian world. We should be a wantonly forgiving people because we get that from Jesus. Jesus was a wantonly forgiving person who was always breaking barriers, who turned his world upside down and on its head because of intention, his intentional ministry of intentional forgiveness. He went around forgiving people. Now, one of our pillars here at New Promise Church is we want to be intentional in our Christianity. We want to do things on purpose, with a purpose. We're not going to be accidental and just wait for something to happen. We want to be intentional. We want to extend God's love, grace, and forgiveness on purpose, with a purpose, just like Jesus did in John chapter 4 when he was going through Samaria and he stopped at a well and he had a conversation with a woman at the well. Now, there's two things that's very odd and unique about that. Number one, it was very odd back in the day for a strange man to talk to a strange woman that they didn't know each other without, you know, some other women or other men being there, something like that. So Jesus broke that barrier. And number two, the Samaritans had a very friction-filled, unforgiving relationship with Jews that went all the way back to the Old Testament when the intermarians started because Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-Gentile. And, and, and the, the Jewish people, well, were you know, purely Jewish. You know, we, our pedigree is Jewish, going back three, four, five, six, ten generations, Jewish people in my family, right? A little hoity-toity. And, and the Samaritans were looked down upon because they were half-breeds. Whether they were or whether their grandparents were, the, the sins of the father was visited upon them. And so Jesus is having a, re, uh, a conversation with this woman, and she wants to talk about religion and location. She wants to say, now we think, the Samaritans think we should worship Jehovah at, on Mount Gerzim here in Samaria. You Jewish people think you should worship Jehovah at the temple in Jerusalem. Which one of us is right? Jesus rejects the premise of the question, and he just talks, starts talking about worship as far as relationship with people goes. And he gets words of knowledge from the Holy Spirit within him, and he starts reading the lady her resume. He says, you not only have had one husband, you have had five husbands. And it blows her away. And so through, through the course of this conversation, Jesus reveals his deity to her. And so she leaves, and Scripture says she goes back and she tells her friends and family members, neighbors and strangers in her community, that I found the Christ. And she brings them to Jesus, and apparently they get saved. They accept Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, promised by Jehovah God. Do you know what that made her? Here, here's the redemption of, of Jesus' forgiveness, of kind of restoring, beginning to restore the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. The redemption of what Jesus did is people got saved. The redemption of Jesus' forgiveness, that gesture, is that people got saved, came to salvation, and came into a knowledge of, of a gracious, loving, forgiving God through what Jesus did there. She was the first female evangelist in Samaria. She got to Samaria before Philip would get there in Acts chapter 8. So, so take that, people who think that ladies of the Lord can't do wonderful things for the kingdom of God, like be used as an evangelist to lead other people to faith in Jesus Christ.
first one in Samaria. And he, that wasn't the only woman that Jesus interacted with in gestures of forgiveness and restoration. How about in John chapter 8, where it says there was a woman caught in the act of adultery. Yuck! Talk about something you do not want to be caught in the act of. A prostitute caught in the act of, yep, you guessed it, which means what? It was happening, fully engaged. They went in, they pulled her out, they pulled out the guy, we'll call the guy John, and they brought him out into the street. Now there's a lot of hypocrisy going on there because we're told that the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus in this situation. So they were really, the, the lady and the guy were really victims in this, right? But if you think about it, the lady was more a victim than the guy because the guy was never really held to account, right? We, he's never hardly even mentioned. The whole focus is on her. Here's what I think happened. I think they were in on it. The, 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 uh, the Pharisees were in on it. And I think they told the guy what was going to happen. And I, I think they said, now as soon as we pull you guys out, we're just going to let you go and fade out into the, into the crowd. And we're going to focus on the lady, focus on the girl, Okay. So they, they pull him out, they get him in front of Jesus, the other guy drifts out, that's, hypo that's hypocrisy, and that's totally unjust, and, and they get her out there, and of course you know the rest of the story. They're going to stone her and everything else, and they're like, Lord, this is what the, the, the Mosaic Law says, what do you think we should do? And Jesus says the famous words, you without sin, he picks up a rock, he says, you without sin, cast the first stone. He stopped it on a dime. They put down their rocks and stones. They start backing away, wandering away and everything. And then I think at that moment when he looked at the girl caught in the act of adultery, I think he was smiling. I honest to God think Jesus had to be smiling at this point because he, he, he looked at her and he said, where are your accusers? I can't see a person saying that without smiling. Where are your accusers? And she probably sheepishly went, they're, they're not here. They all left. And she's thinking, because of you, they're, they're all left. And, and then he looked at her and he said, neither do I accuse you. Just go and stop doing this. Go do something else. Don't do this anymore. Go and sin no more. See, I think that's a gesture of forgiveness. I think that's a gesture that, of forgiveness that opens the door to redeem her tomorrow by forgiving today. He's always going around doing that, church. When he's on the cross in Luke 23, around verse 34, he's hanging on the cross, and he looks down not just at the people uh, at the foot of the cross, but I believe he looked in his mind over the eschaton of time, and he looked at everybody who he knew would get saved and who would knew he, they would accept his love, which includes me and you. And he looked across time and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I think to myself, that's exactly right. Sin blinds us so much. Oftentimes, we do what we don't realize we're doing. We don't realize the, the hurt and the pain that it, it inflicts upon other people, the distance that we cause, even the distance we cause between us and God. But yet God in his lovingness and his graciousness and his magnanimousness and in his forgivingness, he looked across the eschaton in time while he was hanging there on the cross for our sins. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There was even that thief, remember, on the cross? One, one was reviling him and rebuking him and, and, and everything else, but there was this thief over here that, that seemed to repent. He got it. He said, we deserve to be here, but Jesus doesn't deserve to be here. So he looked at Jesus and he said, Father, he said Lord, when you enter your kingdom, will you remember me, please? And Jesus looked at him, and I think even in Jesus' hurt, agony, and pain, had to have some kind, some kind of a smile on his face. When he promised him, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And he forgave him in that moment of time. Jesus never focused on himself. Jesus always focused on the people around him. If you had to sum up Jesus in, in one word, it would be the forgiver. That's two words, the forgiver. But it would be forgiver. It would be forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus is God, and God is the God who forgives, who forgives people their sins, the, the offense that they cause against God, the sin, the offense that sin causes against God. 
And God put his, and, and our God, who forgave us, put his Holy Spirit within us, because he loves us, to give us the power to forgive people. Now, I know that non-Christians can forgive people, but not the way Christians can forgive people. Because in John 20, 22, Jesus tied the power of forgiveness to the Holy Spirit within us. When Jesus said, where, where it says Jesus breathed on them, he breathed on the apostles, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. As you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. And if you don't, they're not. Now, I know only God can forgive sins, but I think we and our forgiveness can convey God's forgiveness to the people around us as we forgive the people who hurt us. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure that's just. I'm not sure that's right. Forgiveness is not about justice. Forgiveness is about mercy. Forgiveness is about healing. Forgiveness is about redemption. You say, they're not getting what they deserve. I know. Forgiveness is not about they get what they deserve. Forgiveness is being like Jesus. Forgiveness is being like God. Forgiveness is acting on the Holy Spirit within us to forgive people who hurt us, who offend us, and who cause us pain. The fifth thing, and the final thing, is that wanton forgiveness redeems and buys back the future from the past hurts, pains, and offenses. Forgiveness, this is, how, this is where forgiveness opens the door to redemption. Forgiveness buys back, that's what redeems means, the hurts and the pains. Or excuse me, forgiveness buys back or redeems the future that the hurts and the pains of the present or the past have, have stolen and eaten away. This, in other words, this brings us back to Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son story, but it's really more about the dad than it is about the prodigal son. Everybody focuses on the prodigal son in that story, but if, as I've always read that story, I've always been more captivated by the father, by the father's reaction to the son, because the son reacts like anybody who's young, dumb, impulsive, uh, immature, uh, probably insultive in the way he was asking for his inheritance and demanding it right now and everything else, Right? But I've always been more impressed with the dad's reaction to the son. When the son finally gets his head on his shoulders and, and comes back. And it says that his dad saw him when he was coming back home from afar off. Now, I, I think, I agree with some of the theologians and scholars, I think the dad saw him because the dad was looking for him. I sometimes think, what would this be like if it was me and my son, and Joshua? And I, I love Joshua dearly, and Josh is a really good kid. He's not a prodigal son, nothing like that. But I was thinking, what if Josh was like this? You know, uh, I, I would definitely be looking for him every day to come back home. I would be looking for him every day to restore the relationship. Why? Because I love him, and, and that's not going to change. I told him I loved him when he was born, and I saw him, and I said this will never, ever change, and it never, ever will, and never, ever has. And I think the prodigal son's dad's the same way. I think it wasn't by accident or happenstance that he saw his son coming from a distance. I think he was looking for him every day, and then that one day he saw him, and then Scripture says he ran to him, he hugged him, he kissed him, he threw his arms around him, he put a robe on him, he put a ring on his finger, he celebrated him because, and he forgave him because he loved him so very, very much. And then together they were able to repair the relationship, weren't they? Kind of like Bart and his dad, only the roles were reversed, so to speak. Now, the prodigal son's brother, totally different story. Prodigal son's brother in the story is probably still hurt, probably still confused, obviously ticked off, and still held a grudge against his brother. And now maybe he's got a grudge against his dad. And so his brother is unfortunately locked up in what looks like probably unforgiveness. There's a lot of hurt and pain in Bart Millard's life in the movie, I can only imagine. The hurt and the pain piled up so much so that his heart grew rock hard towards his dad in unforgiveness. But somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit got in there and softened Bart's heart towards his dad, who, giving credit to his dad, finally was trying to make amends. 
His dad finally, there's a line in the movie where his dad says, better late than never. And, and I know it, it's, it's a lousy line, but it, it, it is kind of true. It was very late, but he finally got it together. He finally started writing Bart letters and apologizing. He, Bart came home one time and he made him breakfast, which I guess he'd never done before in his life. He started fixing up the house that he used to, you know, put holes in the walls and everything. It totally threw Bart sideways because Bart was still locked up at this point in his hurt and his pain and in his grudge that he held against his dad. But somehow the Holy Spirit got in there and, and, and like ice melting, and it takes some time, the iciness of Bart's heart started melting towards his dad. And that opened the door to redemption. Buying back the future from the past pains and the hurts and everything, right? Here's the value in forgiveness that opens the door to redemption. Out of this story came a Grammy award-winning song that touched the hearts of millions of people around the world, not just on secular radio stations, or Christian radio stations, but was also heard on a lot of secular radio stations. And then also came a smash hit movie that hung out for months in the movie theaters a lot longer than any secular um, movie producers thought it would hang out that millions of people saw the depiction of love, of grace, of forgiveness, of redemption that too many people today can only imagine in their lives. That's the value of that movie. It gives us hope for the hurts and the pains, the guilt and the grudges that we go through in life. And that movie came about through the redemption of the relationship that came about through the forgiveness that Bart was able to find in his heart towards his dad. I, I don't know who hurts you. Odds are somebody has. If you've lived long enough, You've been hurt in life. I've lived long enough to be hurt a few times in life, maybe more than a few times in life. I don't know who hurts you, and I know it hurts. And I know forgiveness is hard, and I know apologies make it easier to forgive, but if they don't apologize, it makes it harder to forgive because then forgiveness feels weak. Forgiveness feels like you're just giving up, you're just giving in, and they're winning again because I have to forgive them. But forgiveness frees you. Sounds counterintuitive, but just hang on with me for a minute. Forgiveness truly does free you from the grip of the grudge that you held against them that is actually holding you back from the peaceful, productive, positive life that God wants you to live going forward to the future. You see, you can't change the past. You can't control what happened to you, but you can control what happens to you in the future by starting today to find it somewhere in your heart to forgive. Forgiveness is the cornerstone of Christianity. We are forgiven by God in order to forgive each other. Now, just because we forgive, and I know forgiveness is hard, I know apologies make it easier, lack of apology makes it harder, and I also know that you don't have to reconcile and restore every relationship with every person you've ever forgiven. Listen to this, especially if it's destructive to you, if it's toxic to you. Hopefully you'll hear more pastors say this if you haven't heard enough pastors say this yet. You're hearing me say it because I just think it's logical. I don't think God expects us to be a doormat to anybody else's abuse. I really don't. And I know God wants us to forgive, but I know there's a difference between forgiving someone and restoring an unhealthy relationship with someone, with someone who's just going to keep hurting you, going to get you locked into bad habits, hurts, and hang-ups, and things like that. Just because you forgive them doesn't mean you have to reconcile and restore the relationship with them if that relationship is unhealthy to you. But you do have to forgive them so you can be free of the grudge you're holding against them so you can live the life that God wants you to live. 
he whom the Son has set free is free indeed, held hostage by nothing. So I want you to imagine you're standing on a street corner and you're asking God to help you be a more kind, patient, and forgiving person. And then I want you to remember how much God already loves you so very, very much and has forgiven you for sins and other things you might not even be aware of, your imperfections, faults, failings, things like that. Willingly and wantingly loves you, willingly and wantingly forgives you. Hebrews says Jesus is always interceding on our behalf in heaven. Why? Because he knows we're imperfect people. We're in a process of being perfected, but we're nowhere close to that end yet. So imagine the power of forgiveness in your life. You're standing on a street corner asking God, say, help me to be a more forgiving person. Remember how much God already loves you and has already forgiven you. And then find it somewhere in your heart to forgive whoever has hurt you. Find it somewhere in your heart with the help of the Holy Spirit who's already within you to act like God, act like Jesus. Father, forgive them. Father, help me to forgive them. Father, help me to redeem the future tomorrow by forgiving the offense of today, whether they earned it, deserved it, apologized for it, are aware of it, whatever. Last thing, I don't get how God can forgive and forget. Scripture says he does. He throws our sins as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. I don't get that because I remember the people who have offended me. I do, and you do too. So maybe for us, forgiveness shouldn't be tied to forgetting. Maybe for us, forgiveness at minimum should be, I'm just moving on. I'm just letting go of the offense. I'm tired of being held hostage to this thing. I'm going to be indifferent to the hurt and the pain. I'm going to live free of the hurt, the pain, the grudge, the offense that I couldn't control, but this I can control. I'm going to be like Jesus and live free. Imagine the power of God's forgiveness in your life and through your life. This next week of your life. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. And it illuminates the hard things, and it should, because without the light of your word, we'd never find our way through the darkness of the hurts and the pains and the offenses that happen in our lives. And so, Father, whether they are minor uh, mix-ups and mistakes or they are great reprehensible offenses, Father, help us to live in the peaceful power and the positivity of your Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord Jesus. We can't change what happened to us in the past, but we can control how we live going forward by faith to the future. And so, Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. Father, help me to let go of the grudge that holds me hostage and holds me back from the kind of positive, peaceful, productive life that you want me to have. Going forward by faith to the future, help me to live free of the offense. Thank you for forgiving me. I truly forgive them in you right now, Lord Jesus. Help me to live that way this next week of my life. Every day in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for listening this morning. Now, before we go, here's what's coming up next at New Promise Church. Please remember to pray for and give an offering towards Steve and Debbie Cartwright, who are missionaries to the Gila River Reservation in Arizona. Steve is involved in the summer Bible camps, Get Victory Guitar Outreach, and SOAR, which stands for Servant, Overcomer, Addiction, and Recovery. Debbie does a youth coffee shop ministry and children's ministry at the church and is also a field treasurer to seven on the AIF leadership team. Mark your calendars for Journey to Easter on Saturday, April 3rd here at New Promise Church. This is an event for children to walk through the streets of Jerusalem and experience events from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. Pre-packaged candy donations are being accepted at the welcome desk. 
For those who have volunteered or are interested in volunteering to help with Journey to Easter, there will be a meeting on Thursday, March 25th at 6.30 p.m. in the hospitality room. On Friday, April 2nd will be our Good Friday service. It will be one hour from 6 to 7 p.m. It will be a mostly music service with communion and a short message from Pastor Rory. Join us Easter Sunday, April 4th for worship, a performance with our kids' choir, communion, and a message from Pastor Rory. Next Sunday, Pastor Rory continues in his four-part series called I Can Only Imagine with Imagine Redemption, the ability to find value in what had been lost. You won't want to miss any installment of this inspiring series. Thank you for being here today at New Promise Church. Have a great and blessed week. Good morning and thank you so much to everyone again who was able to come in person with us and join us this morning and to everyone online as well. Just a couple quick announcements. Um, we still have Easter lilies that you can purchase in at our welcome desk in the lobby and then they'll be available for pickup after our Easter services on Easter Sunday. And then we also have a new backdrop at our photo booth so make sure to grab your family and friends and take a couple pictures and remember to tag us at NBC Kirtland on Instagram, Facebook and all other social media platforms. And then with the journey to Easter we also ask that you share um, the journey to Easter on Facebook as well. Check it out, um, share it as well, just to spread the word, because it'll be a great event for children and their families um, to come and to see and to share and show the true story of Easter and God's um, true and genuine love that he has for us and that how much he wanted us. So thank you so much again to everyone who came this morning and online. So have a wonderful afternoon and a great weekend or great week.